Are you find John, the fourth chapter, let me share this with you. Our oldest son, who is in the ministry, shared with us some time ago a new phrase regarding missions. He called it global missions. When he said that, I looked at him and I said, oh, you mean global missions? He said, no, Dad, even you can learn a new word. It is global which is a combination of the word local and global. Hang on to that for a second and let me tie it together in your thinking this way. In the Gospel of John, as you come up to the fourth chapter, if you follow Christ, he made a journey from Jerusalem. He had been in Jerusalem. He went from Jerusalem to Judea. He ministered and shared the Gospel there. He went from Judea to Samaria, which is where we catch up to him in John, the fourth chapter. And it's in Samaria that perhaps one of the first times it's understood by an entire city, this is the Savior of the world. So if you follow Christ's journey, it's Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, a trek, under the uttermost parts of the earth. Surely you've heard that somewhere else before if you've been around the Bible long. It's in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. You'll be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. It starts in Jerusalem, local, and ends up at the ends of the earth, global. So followers of Christ understand that missions is not primarily or even first a global thing. It is first and foremost a local thing. That's why I'm thrilled to death about this month. Listening to the four who have been on short-term mission trips out of this assembly, out of this church, lets us know that this is a strong body of believers committed to local service that ends up at the other end of the globe. And that is a thrilling thing to be a part of. Right, church? Now, having said that, I want to bring you to John chapter 4. And we're going to begin in verse 27. I invite you to stand as we together read the word of God. Out of reverence for the book, would you stand with me, please? If you do not have the New King James, that's what will be on this screen. You can follow it there. If you have a copy of that, follow it in your own copy of scriptures. Here's what is uh, the way it is recorded by John. At this point, his disciples came. Pause. That begs a question, at what point? It's at the end of an interaction, a conversation that Christ just had with a woman, not just any woman, a woman that was deeply broken. She discovered during that conversation that this is the Savior of the world, the Messiah of Israel. It goes on to read, as they come, the disciples at that point, at the end of that conversation, they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Or, why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, pause there one second, 
It is not a surprise, if you know anything about that culture, that she went to the men. They were the both political and cultural or spiritual leaders of that culture. They were the political and religious leaders. And so if anything was to be accepted in a broad way in that city, it had to go through those men. So she did a good thing when she went to the men and, and told them, could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Now what a great Baptist focus. The Lord's doing such a great marvelous thing in this narrative. Bringing a woman to himself who was an outcast of society, a broken person. And now his disciples come back and say, how did it go in that conversation, Lord? No, no, no. He did the Baptist thing. They did the Baptist thing. Rabbi, it's time to but he said to them how he transformed the conversation. I have food to eat, which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Oh, we get it. He was spiritually feeding her and that drives him. Oh no, they didn't get it yet. They said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, and read the letters that are in all caps with me as a great choir, will you? Lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white. For harvest. One of the greatest prayer requests, I think, that could ever be uttered from this assembly or any other in our country is God help us to lift up our eyes and see the broken the way you see them. See them as we once were. Yo, broken when he found us. Let's take that request to him. My father, like Isaiah that we studied a week ago, we want to tell you we understand we're a broken people, a people of unclean lips. And what Jesus is asking us to do in John 4, we are willing to do, but we need your help because it just doesn't come naturally to lift up our eyes and see the people around us as broken and in need of the Savior Messiah, the Lord Jesus. Father, don't let us walk out of this place the same way we came in. Don't let it be just another study and another service, but use the McCumber's testimony and use the power of your word and the challenge of Christ to help us Move beyond the natural to the spiritual and see people through the eyes of Christ. Help us to do that through this week and through coming days till Christ comes for us. In Jesus' name, we long for this and ask for this. 
Help us, Father, see people the way Christ did. In his name, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. I want to walk you through the flow of the text here for just a few minutes. I'm paying attention to the time, so relax. For just a few minutes here, let me start with the first thing that I know from the text that led up to that statement that says, look at things differently. Here's the first thing. Jesus broke cultural laws in his day. He did it and the disciples recognized it when the text says in verse number 27, they marveled that he had talked with a woman. The word marveled is kind of understated. Another translation says they were surprised, and I think really one translation gets it best when it says they were shocked that he talked with a woman. Why were they shocked? Because in that culture, men who were strangers and uh, weren't familiar or friends with another Lady, they did not talk with them, especially if they were total strangers. And Jesus came to that well, and she, a total stranger to him, he interacted with. Nobody in the culture would have done that. I think I told you once before about a missionary years ago who served in a third world country where still women are treated as second class, almost as property of the men. In their culture, women have to walk 10 paces behind. And one of our ladies in our American church asked her, how do you stand living year after year in that culture where you're out in public and have to walk 10 paces behind it? I wanted to stand up and say, I suggested that to Elaine. <laughs> but that didn't work. She gave a really good answer. Here's how she kept her sanity in that culture. It's like I just walked in tight paces behind him and nobody understands English, so I say, turn right, stupid, turn left, ignorant. Don't you know the way? Let me help you. Well, I'm not sure that's the way to handle it in the culture, but there were cultures, and the first century culture was one where no man ever talked to a woman in public setting. She wasn't just a woman, you remember, she was a Samaritan woman. And that simply means that she was, if you will, a half-breed. Her father was an Assyrian, her mother a Jewish maiden. And when the Assyrians overcame Israel, took them captive, they intermarried with the Jewish women and they bore children again. They erected a temple on Mount Gerizim, a temple that was, to the, that was to set in contradistinction to the temple in Jerusalem. It was a temple to a false god, not a temple where the true God of Israel was worshipped. And their religious difference put them at odds. Their cultural social difference put them at odds. So much so that a Jewish person in that day could often be heard praying, Lord, in the resurrection, do not bring to life the Samaritans. Now there's great compassion, right? They hated one another. 
So not only did a man not talk to a woman, but a man would not talk to a Samaritan woman. Then when you add the third reality to it, it's like unthinkable. No wonder they were shocked. She was a big sinner, an adulterous Samaritan woman. Christ unveiled that she lived with five husbands, and now the man she lived with was not her husband. She's living outside of marriage with the sixth man. Why are you talking to her? Jesus broke every cultural norm to say a single word to her. Why? No wonder he ends up where he does. Because he saw her differently than even the religious Jews saw her. And he saw her differently than even her own lost pagan culture saw her. That's huge. If we're going to be involved in global missions, it starts at home with us lifting up our eyes and seeing people differently. Being willing to do what normal religious culture will not do to help them come to Christ. Years ago, I pastored a church who was not touching the lives of people locally. We invited Alcoholics Anonymous to come in and be a part, to meet in our church body. And people really pushed back on that and said, no, God's the answer, not AA. Our response was, AA takes them to a point. Why can't we pick them up at that point and take them to the Lord Jesus? Yo, outside the door one Sunday morning, the first Sunday after AA had met Saturday night, there were cigarette butts all over the entryway to the building. I said, did you see those when you came in? People said, yeah, we did. Isn't it great that we are touching the lives of people that are broken? AA met here last night. And in the next 18 months, 35 of those people came to know Christ as Savior. We broke the religious culture. It's okay with you if we invite AA to meet here? I didn't ask for a bottle of time. This was just church. I think we need to do exactly what our Lord did. Look beyond the box that we're placed in as a religious organization and view people the way Christ did. More than that, Jesus obeyed God's law. That's why he broke the cultural laws. And don't view the word law there as a commandment kind of thing, for that's not the way Jesus viewed it. In verse 34, he said to them, you need to know, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. The will of my Father. And the word will there is not commandment, law, lay down. But it's the word correctly translated, the pleasure or the desire This is what my Father desires, what I am doing. You're telling me, stop talking to a woman because it breaks cultural laws. 
but my God desires that I talk to people that nobody else will talk to. That's his pleasure. What's that tell you about the heart of God for you and me? Hello? What's that tell you? Man, God delights, has great desire, and takes great pleasure in reaching down to touch this sinful heart and transform it forever. If he does that for me and for you who were broken people before he found us, what on earth is he wanting us to do as we look out on the midst or on the sea of people that are before us? He wants us to see them as broken people whom he takes great pleasure with great desire and passion, longing for them to come to himself. No wonder Christ said from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The heartbeat of the Father and Son and Spirit is that the broken be drawn to him. And then he added, my food, that which energizes me, is to do the pleasure of the Father and to finish his work. Church, you need to be thinking that last thing Christ said on the cross. After he said, my beloved, woman, behold your son, son, behold your mother. After he said on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. After he said on the cross, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you turned your back on me? Then he said finally, which answers the question, why have you turned your back on me? It is finished. I paid the price. I completed the work that the Father sent me to do. In his great pleasure, he spilled my blood, Christ was saying, so that the broken can be made whole. You know? why he came. And then Jesus abandoned the natural law. Look at it. He said to them, look at the fields. For they are already white for harvest. Wait a minute. The beginning of verse 5, or I'm sorry, verse 35 he had said, do you not say yet four months and then comes the harvest? That's the natural law. Harvest was four months away. The wheat fields weren't ready to be harvested. But now he transforms it and says, lift up your eyes and see the harvest the way I see it. Not naturally, but spiritually. Not temporally, but eternally. And what did he have in mind? No, not what. Who did he have in mind? The woman had just gone back into the city and told them that he's the savior of the world. And many had believed the context tells us before they ever came out to see him. Others came out to see for themselves. And as they were coming, he had this conversation with the disciples. And he was saying to them, stop looking at them naturally. Start looking at them spiritually. See them the way I, my son, and I, my father, see them. 
see them as Christ. Wish I could do that as he did it. I think the older I get, the more I'm able to do it. I'm nowhere near where my Lord was. Oh my God. All around you every day are broken people ripe for the harvest. You know? Listen to this. I have this statement I read some time ago on my desk. Part of maturity is learning what to be and what not to be exercised by. Right? I wish I could do parenting all over again sometimes. I was exercised by things I didn't need to be exercised by when I had kids at home, weren't you? Some of you are older. Am I alone? Oh, no. Some of the things I let go, I should not have let go. I was not exercised by them and should have been. Others I paid too much attention to. Same thing happens in church. In our religious setting, there are things that exercise us deeply sometimes, right? Would you admit that with me? Things that exercise us deeply that frankly have nothing to do with the harvest. And the great challenge of this text and of missions is if we're going to be global, it starts right here in a fresh way perhaps for you this morning as with me this week when I, God gripped my heart with this. It starts happening right here by saying, stop being so exercised, Larry about the stuff that does not have anything to do with reaching the lost. Helping the broken. Don't let anyone drag you. In fact, Paul writes that to his young mentor in ministry, his mentoree in ministry, Timothy. And he says, don't let anybody drag you into silly, unnecessary debates. We all get that way, don't we? Please don't leave me alone up here. <laughs> We're all that way. Oh. The great challenge is, oh, my beloved, learn to be exercised about what the Lord was exercised about. And do you know what grieved him? He had no time for the religious crowd that wanted to debate the natural stuff. He only had time for the dear broken ones that needed his touch. Ask God for that kind of vision today. Jesus pushed back, was exercised by and pushed back on anything and anyone that kept him from harvesting.
invite you this morning to join your deacons up in front. This is kind of an organic thing that they suggested, not me. I want to ask you to stand together, please. And those of you who are willing to join them, we invite you to come if God leads you to do that. You may want to do it in your seat, that's fine, but many of your deacons are going to be coming and kneeling here at the front. And Asking the Lord to prepare the heart of the next pastor to be undistracted from the harvest. To keep his eyes on the harvest. God, to help us be a church that allows him to lead us to lift up our eyes and see the culture around us. By the way, you'll be glad to know the first pastoral search team meeting is tomorrow night at 6.30 here at the church. That's okay to applaud for, by the way. Would you pray for that team and pray for your leaders and pray with them that our conversations and our focus not draw him away from the harvest. And I'd like to ask you to add one more commitment to your prayer. Lord, help us not to wait till he gets here in your time. We're not trying to rush ahead or lag behind either one. Just in your time. We're going to grow before he gets here. In lifting up our eyes and seeing people locally before we see them globally. The way Christ saw them. Help us to be growing in that. You think your next pastor will be excited to find you growing in that before he comes? I do. I invite you to come and pray with your deacons. Pray at your seat.